Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Have you ever heard of the 39 Steps? No, what's that, a pub? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. These guns you laugh in. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. This is Simon Rose. You join us for the business film, where business of film, where I'm talking to James Cameron Wilson. I'm actually wishing that there were a pub somewhere in the UK called Thirty Nine Steps. Wouldn't that be just wonderful? It would. Would. <laughs> It'd be full of full of Hitchcock fans who like classical movies and nobody else, I imagine. Um, okay, James, but I'm taking it that we're going to be looking at modern films today as we go through the UK um, chart. Indeed we are. And I wish I could bring better news. But, well, we've had two rather good weekends. So inevitably, in spite of the fact we've got three big new releases, the box office has declined by 17.9%. Some might even say 18%, but I'm saying 17.9% down from the previous weekend. And amazingly, still at number one is Smile, which you may recollect Mm. I was not a fan of, only down 8%. And according to some sources, it's gone up. Uh, it's now got a total of £4.7 million. It's the first 18 certificate film to get to number one since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, for the record. But we do have a new film at number two, which is called The Woman King, which I'm surprised it's not bigger, but it only made £1.3 million over the weekend, but which, considering mm-hmm. the amount of publicity it's had, is a bit disappointing, to say the least. You say that? I don't think I know what it is. The Woman King? Yeah. Maybe I just haven't been paying attention. Okay. Yeah. Well, like the other two wide releases of last weekend, The Woman King is apparently based on true events. But of the three, only The Lost King at least on Wikipedia, is described as a fictionalization of real events, yet is by far the closest to what actually happened in real life. The Woman King, directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood, brings to our attention a genuine tribe of female warriors who fought for the kingdom of Dahomey, which is now in present-day Benin in West Africa. They were feared by their enemies, and were operative from the 1600s up until 1904. This alone makes for a fascinating opportunity, and in cinematic terms, a unique backdrop for a lusty, bloody action adventure. Throw in Viola Davis as an African general, and we have the makings of something really very special. The screenplay is based on a story by the actress Maria Bello, and the screenwriter, 
Dana Stevens and attempts to meld elements of Braveheart with Black Panther. Unfortunately, the character played by Viola Davis, General Naniska, is something of an unknown entity, an angry, ruthless woman whose story we only learn through brief shards of flashback. Consequently, I found it rather hard to root for her. The emotional centre of the film belongs to Nawi, played by the South African actress Tuso Mbudu, who is 31, although Nawi is actually 19. But I think she looked 14. Refusing to be pawned off on a husband of her father's choosing, she is delivered to the king, played by a magnificent John Boyega. And so she joins the new recruits enlisted by Gen- General Naniska to do battle with the neighbouring kingdom of Oya that has been abducting the wives of Dahomey as slaves. At first, Nawi proves ill-prepared and reckless for a soldier's life, but is also single-minded and determined to make her mark. Without the central presence of Tusu Mbudu, I think the film would have lost me. Considering that it was filmed in South Africa and Benin, it has very little sense of place or dramatic sweep. And I never really believed that I was in a real African encampment. To me, it felt like a Hollywood set. I have seen a number of real African films made by Mm. genuine African filmmakers, and they really do transport the viewer to a wild and transformative place, which I didn't get here. And it doesn't help that Gina Prince-Bythewood, the director, has introduced a subplot involving two dashingly handsome Portuguese slavers who look like they've escaped from a cargo of Chippendales. (laughs) It's wonderful to see a film full of such good black actresses, the British Nashana Lynch and Sheila Atim among them. But there is an air of the potboiler about the proceedings, which left me rather cold, although I know a lot of critics have embraced it, I think maybe because of its uniqueness. And Viola Davis is such a strong presence. I just didn't really, I know she has had a bad background and terrible things happened to her, but I really couldn't warm to her. And I was rather disappointed, I'm afraid. Anyway, that is The Woman King. Right, that's the one, King. Okay, so but don't that was worry, number two. darling. We've got a British. Uh, well, we've got a British star, Florence Pugh, at number three, which was at number two, down forty-four percent, I'm afraid, with a total of eight point two million pounds. At four, we've got the the Dyer Ticket to Paradise, which was at number three, down thirty-six percent, for a total of six point seven million. What was Julia Roberts? Yeah, my daughter George... went to that and enjoyed it. I think I might cut her it? off. I may cut her off. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, I know. She's I a young mum. Anybody. In my in my experience, when you've got young children, anything to get out of the house is welcome. Young. She's got a seven-month-old baby. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. I, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. Yes. We have a new film at number five called Amsterdam. I was so excited, Simon. Hmm. about Amsterdam. The oh, novel I, can tell, of the... I can tell what's coming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the novel of the same name by Ian McEwan, hmm. I am a huge fan, won the Booker Prize in 1998. And the film was to, re- to be directed by David O. Russell, he who brought us Silver Linings Playbook and Joy. Hmm. And what joy that was. And then the cast was announced. Christian Bale, 
Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Robert De Niro, Andrea Riseborough, all keen favourites of mine. And I was positively salivating. And then I discovered that the film had nothing to do with the book and that it's 135 minute running time spends very little time in the Dutch capital. We do get a brief establishing shot and that's it. Amsterdam serves largely as a symbol, an allegory, a place where we can be oneself away from the fascist tyranny that is building up in 1930s America. There are a few things that are true in David David Russell's film. And at the start, a statement declares a lot of this really happened. Well, not a lot. Three central characters played by Christian Bale, Margot Robbie and John David Washington are made up and find themselves on the battlefield in Belgium during the First World War. Bale is a doctor, Robbie is a nurse and Washington an attorney. And they end up in Amsterdam where they find a combined bohemian bliss and get to sing silly songs in French, even though Bale's wife, Beatrice Andrea Riseborough, is back in New York. In fact, the film opens in New York in 1933, where Bale and Washington are asked by Taylor Swift to perform an autopsy on the corpse of her father, a senator, although all sorts of skullduggery kicks off that leads our two leading men down one hell of a rabbit hole. I have to say the evocation of 1930s New York is a wonder to behold. Wide, virtually carless streets stretching off into the distance. And Bale is unrecognisable, as he usually is, Mm. having been deformed in battle in the First World War. Besides a tight, curly hairstyle, he is facially disfigured with a glass eye and a brace for his back and looks considerably older than his 48 years. In fact, considering his body of work, it's extraordinary to think that Bale is still in his 40s. But then he did start at the age of 13 in Spielberg's Empire of the Sun. He's brilliant in this, as is Margot Robbie, who plays a nurse who retains the shrapnel she digs out of her patients to use as the raw material for her artwork. Amazing idea. However, I wasn't quite sure what the film was trying to be. It's a real mishmash of satire, whodunit, social commentary, screwball comedy, and historical document. But as it lumbers along, with little seeming cohesion. It begins to feel like one of those endless royal variety performances at the London Palladium, where different acts Mm. compete with with one another. Ah, here's Mike Myers as a member of MI6 with a funny English accent. Rami Malek as a suspicious millionaire. Robert De Niro as a war hero. And Chris Rock, Zoe Saldana, Michael Shannon, Anya Taylor Joy, Ed Begley Jr., <clears throat> Matthias Schoenartz, Alessandra Nivola, and many, many more. What a waste of talent, then. What a terrible waste of talent. And it hasn't done that well at the boxes. Um, we, we, we love David O. Russell. Mm, that's disappointing. So, second disappointing. Second disappointment. Well, I think let's briefly um, pause for breath in the hope that whatever else you see, you can recommend more strongly. Let us see.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. This is Simon Rose. You are listening to The Business of Film, and I'm listening to James Cameron Wilson. So we've got down to uh, number five in the chart, which is Amsterdam, uh, which appears to be set everywhere else but Amsterdam. Uh, what's uh, Well, I, I would like to mention, because I, I did mention earlier that Taylor Swift is in it, I actually enjoyed Cats with Taylor Swift more than I did Amsterdam. <laughs> I don't remember you enjoying Cats much. <laughs> just, okay. just saying. Yeah, okay. Number six, we've got Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, down 36%, with a total of 2.2 million. A very whimsical but enjoyable fantasy yeah. based on the Paul Gallico novel, starring Leslie Manville and, surprisingly, Isabelle Huppert. Now, we do have a new film at seven which is a British film called The Lost King. The director, Stephen Frears, has made a career out of making films about real people, from the disgraced cyclist Lance Armstrong to Queen Victoria, as well as the late Queen Elizabeth II, to the tuneless heiress Florence Foster Jenkins, Fox honcho Roger Isles, Jeremy Thorpe, and the playwright Joe Orton. But now he returns home to his native Leicester to make a film about a car park. A real car park. The star of his film, The Lost King, is Sally Hawkins, who plays Philippa Langley, who from the outside appears to be a fairly nondescript, even mundane figure. A divorcee with two young boys, she has been repeatedly passed over for promotion at work, and suffers from ME, which nobody really understands, but is very real to her, as it fills her, fills her day with chronic fatigue. And then she goes to see a Shakespeare production, and her life is changed forever. The play is Richard III, and she sees in The Misunderstood King, Shakespeare's most famous historical villain, a kindred spirit, and she starts arguing his case from the interval onwards. For Philippa Langley is no dumb brunette, and after leafing through some historical biographies, she's straight through the Tudor propaganda, which has been handed down over the centuries, largely at the doing of King Henry VII. Amazingly, considering his notoriety upon the royal stage, Richard only ruled for just over two years, and thanks largely to Shakespeare, is responsible, apparently, for the murder of his own two nephews, the princes in the tower, at least in the public conscience. Philippa Langley takes this character assassination almost personally and embarks on an odyssey during which becomes a laughingstock from academics, historians, university scholars, and her estranged husband, John, brilliantly played by Steve Coogan, who co-wrote the screenplay with Jeff Pope, 
with whom he collaborated on the Oscar-nominated script of Philomena, mm-hmm. which was also directed by Stephen Frears, and also based on a true story. Now, I'm not going to wade into the controversy about the film's verisimilitude, because I knew going in that it isn't a documentary. However, I was later to find out that much of what happens on screen really did, and the mad passion of Philippa Langley's is perfectly caught by the screenplay. Philippa just had this overwhelming sense, this feeling that she knew where Richard was buried, not in the river saw, as history relates. Now, I love films about ordinary people, and especially films about ordinary people who, against insurmountable odds, achieve something quite extraordinary. <clears throat> of course, I remember the headlines about Philippa's achievement 10 years ago, but it's the detail that led this woman to do what she did that is so fascinating. There are a few stock characters, a few stock villains, but the longer Philippa's quest continued, the more engaged I became. And I was terribly invested. I was very moved. And I felt really educated as well. It's an f- amazing story. Intriguing. Yeah, yet another so- British film about a dig. Well, yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> We're getting good at them. I wonder what else we can dig up now. Yes. Okay. Well, 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 indeed. But my I, favourite I representation, Richard it. III, of course, is is in the Goodbye Girl, Richard Dreyfus, um, having to play Richard III. That's my favourite uh, dramatisation of him. If you remember well, of course, that. there was Al Pacino's looking. Yeah, yeah uh, Al Pacino. And there was a, a Richard Longcrane film, which I thought was incredibly good, wasn't there? With Ian McKellen. Uh, yeah. Uh, Yes, um, a modern-day version. Yes, that was excellent. Um, but this sounds intriguing. Sounds, that does sound more my sort of thing than Smile. Well, I absolutely. I would recommend it to you wholeheartedly. And, and Sally Hawkins is so wonderful. And it's such an unusual story. And I think a lot of people will, not your granddaughter, uh, grandson, but a lot of people will remember the headlines. And I haven't given away what happened, just for those, in case those listeners mm. don't know what happened. But it's quite extraordinary. <clears throat> okay. And I know that various people in Leicester, autocrats and a part of the university, have taken against the film because they don't come off, in it, off it in a very good light. Okay, okay, at number eight, we have Honyi and Selvan Part 1 which was at number five, which is a very long action drama from India, down 75%. I suspect everybody who wanted to see it has seen it. Mm -hmm. At number nine, we have Minions, The Rise of Gru, down 42%. (laughs) There's going to be one week eventually when you don't have to mention that. It seems to have been in the chart forever. It's been in the chart for 15 weeks. Right. And obviously, it's not made for me. It's not made for you. It's made for very young children. Mm. And they just love the mischievous minions. Okay. I did love See How They Run, which is at number 10, which was at number 7, down, sadly, 65% with a total of 4.6 million, which I think is Saoirse Ronan's funniest film to date and a really very clever work about how you cannot film the mousetrap, uh, mousetrap, and they've somehow got round to making a film about the mousetrap. And it's just very witty and beautiful evocation of 1950s London. I, I would like to mention at number 16, Prima Facie, uh, which, according to Screen Daily, went up 196% 
last weekend. So I wanted to end on a positive note. Right. And it's now make, made a total of £5.2 million. Pounds. I still haven't seen it. I, I, I wanted to, and it just um, things got in the way. Well, it's still um, there, Simon. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I know. Waiting for you. Know, All I these know, good films. Yes, I know. I have to make an effort. The Lost King. See yep. how they run. Prima facie, the stuff out there worth looking at. Um, and of course, Mrs. Harris goes to pa- Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. A lot of critics have embraced more than me. And I mentioned it last week on the show, and and the fact that it, Paul Gallico's novel was previously filmed as a TV movie. I think it was 1992, mm-hmm. directed by Anthony Shaw, who is the son of Angela Lansbury, and she did the previous Mrs. Harris. And of course, we have lost the wonderful we Angela have. Lansbury. We have. A woman, every, I mean, I suspect most people only know from Murder, She Wrote. But, I mean, in her youth was incredibly um, attractive what, and alluring actress. I mean, I remember in a picture of Dorian Gray. She was absolutely fantastic in, what, in What's that. Murder, She Wrote? Yes, we're, OK, James. Well, look, we're, we're talking about this woman who's won six Tony Awards. Yeah. She dominated Broadway. Ironically, I mean, she's had this extraordinary relationship with Stephen Sondheim. Her first musical was called Anyone Can Whistle by Stephen Sondheim. It lasted nine performances. She then went on to do uh, a number of Stephen Sondheim's, including Gypsy, where she played Mama Rose, Sweeney Todd. Um, Actually, when Sweeney Todd was on on Broadway, I went to see it, and I was so knocked out by it. I went to the stage door to see if I could meet Angela Lansbury. Now, you can't do that anymore. And anyway, she invited me up to her dressing room. Mm-hmm. She gave me champagne. Good gracious. So lovely. I remember the Were you any person hanging around at the stage door? Surely not. I think there was somebody. Well, I don't, I don't remember many people hanging around the stage door. I think Sweeney Todd had been on for a while. Yes. And it was Amazing. before she played Jessica Fletcher in this yes, thing, yes, yes. Murder, She Wrote. But yeah, she dominated Broadway. She also had this extraordinary career. In fact, she was 17 when she auditioned for George Cooker for Gaslight, playing the Cockney maid. Mm. And he felt she was too young. But she got the part anyway. It was her first film. And she gets an Oscar nomination. A year yes. later, in 1945, she gets another Oscar nomination yeah. for the portrait of Dorian Gray. She's had this extraordinary career. And I think this is really interesting. Uh, uh, she and wait, she and Stephen Sondheim appeared together in a film that hasn't opened yet called Glass Onion. Oh, wow. She was working right up. No, no. She, but this coming <laughs> Sunday, she will be, would have been 97. And and we mustn't herself. forget, I mean, she has this sort of image of, of bonhomie, but we mustn't forget the Manchurian candidate. Of course, of course. Well, she, she, indeed, where she played Lawrence Harvey's mother, and she was only three years older than Lawrence Harvey. Yes, yes. yes. And she played the mother of Brandon DeWilde. She played the mother of Elvis Presley. And, of course, she outlived all these stars who played her sons over the years. But she was still yes. touring Australia nine years ago mm. in Driving Miss had, Daisy. Had a fractured hip, apparently, and instead of actually not doing it, they wrote a walking stick into the part. Is this um, Jessica Fletcher? She was on stage. Or... No, oh, no, Angela Lansbury. I can't remember which, which production it was now, but she was in a production, somehow fractured her hip and just kept going. They wrote a walking stick into the part. I'll show you that. I saw that in an obituary today. 
Um, oh, okay. And she was on the West End in Blythe Spirit. Yes. In her 90th year. Yeah. yeah. Playing I the lead, mean. Madame McCarty. Yes. yes. And got fantastic I mean, reviews for it as well. Yeah. She's had all these amazing different careers on Broadway, in film. And a lot of people just know her from Bedknobs and Broomsticks or as the singing teapot, Mrs. Potts. In <laughs> yes. Yes. That's true. Beauty and the Beast. That's true. And I um, mean, didn't have the happiest of lives particularly you know relatively early early on and lots of awful things happen happen to her but no let us say goodbye to angela lansby and i'm so delighted that i i know somebody who's had champagne with her <laughs> james thank you thank you very much indeed but everything i've seen about her says that she was absolutely wonderful and clearly um, you've just confirmed that so that is it for this week from the business of film we'll be back with more at the same time next week my thanks to james cameron wilson the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley.